at the beginning, I wanted to uh, encourage everyone. It's kind of an experiment we're doing is uh, give us a review of this podcast or our podcast in general on Google My Business. And that link is in the show notes. Just click on that link. You'll have to sign into your Gmail account or your Google account. And then give us some feedback on this episode or the podcast overall. Uh, we're trying to do an alternative to giving reviews in Apple Podcasts and just do it on Google. So the link is in the show notes. You'll have to sign into your Google account and give us a review. Um, but one of the things that has always intrigued me and quite frankly burdened me is that seeing people stuck, seeing people trying something and failing at it, trying something and hitting a brick wall, whatever it may be, and really not knowing, well, how do I overcome this? How do I get to breakthrough? And the pursuit of that is what we do at Spirit of EQ. We are looking forward our way from Studio C in the 511 Studios in the Brewer District, just south of downtown Columbus. This is Brett. With me, as always, is Carol. Uh, we've got a valuable episode today for our listeners. Brett, I really think that this episode is going to get us on track for New Year, New You. Exactly. Um, listeners, the New Year is right around the corner, and let's take it on. We have all had a couple of crazy, frustrating years. Now we're drawing in a deep breath ready to take on a new year. Um, but wouldn't it be better to begin this new year with a new attitude? So with us today are Eric Pennington and Jeff East, both partners with an organization called Spirit of EQ here in Central Ohio. They're going to lead us through a discussion on what is emotional intelligence? Why do some have an empathetic attitude and others don't? And how can I build my EQ in my organization? So Eric and Jeff, thank you both very much for joining us today. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you for having us. Well, I've known Eric and Jeff for many years. Uh, full disclosure, I helped them with their podcast, Spirit of EQ Podcast. Uh, uh, take a moment, go to your phone right now and subscribe to that podcast. Uh, yes, please. <laughs> yes, that's why we love you, Brett. <laughs> and we wanted you, the listener, to have an opportunity to hear more about this concept. So I know you're going to want to subscribe and follow after you hear this episode. Seriously, um, Eric and Jeff. Uh, you know, we're going to have them both tell us about their backgrounds and how they came into this career path because it wasn't they decided right after high school, I'm going to go into Spirit of EQ. <laughs> you know, they, they have a pathway to this. Um, let, let's, let's you know, start with Jeff. Uh, you know, tell us about how you got here as, as well as what you see Spirit of EQ doing, helping employers and organizations get through emotional intelligence. Okay, well, it was a, a long roundabout way. I'm I actually grew up on a dairy farm in Jamestown, Ohio. My degree is in ag business, but in the late 80s, that was not a – or late 70s, that was not a good place. So I ended up taking a temporary job with Orkin just to pay the bills and found out I liked the industry, didn't like Orkin. <laughs> <laughs> so I started working for – it It was a teeny tiny company then called Varmint Guard. Uh, one of the owners is a fellow named Jim Vave. And as the company grew, uh, Jim was always very interested in the culture of the company. So we were always doing things like the disc profiles, mm -hmm. Myers-Briggs, and yeah. things like that. Yeah. Well, he got introduced to uh, emotional intelligence through a company called Six Seconds. And um, mm -hmm. as the company grew, um, we needed more people because we were in several states, and, and I was on the road a lot with the company. So I ended up getting certified because it really resonated with me. And then just through circumstances, I retired from that and am doing this now with uh, emotional intelligence with Spirit of EQ with Eric. And then Jim mm -hmm. that I just mentioned and his wife Lynette are all a part of what we do. What I like about what we do is we, we help people – holistically it's just you know if we come into a company it's just not helping them with work stuff because this goes through their whole life and uh, just makes it easier for them to make decisions and to um, just function better work better with people and that's what i really like about this yeah eric what about you so my career was primarily 15 years or so inside of corporate America, and I 
basically ran with the script that said go into that world and get promoted and make a lot of money and get a corner office and all those different things. And I had what I would call a Solomon moment where I got everything that they told me that I should get. And I found myself very bored Mm -hmm. and very, very much a, oh, so you're telling me this is it? Yeah. Are you telling me I'm at my pinnacle? <laughs> I'm supposed to feel different, am I not? Yeah. Well, in that world that I ran, nobody really cared about my Solomon moment. So it was one of those things where I came to a crossroads and uh, began to ask myself, okay, well, what do I want to do next? Because I can't see this uh, being the final chapter of my career. And along the way, uh, and I was in leadership, I was an executive, so I had a number of people that reported to me, and I always had a burden for their well-being, and more so sometimes even than the business objectives. Uh, That part was probably the driving force that led me to where I'm at today. Now, in between, I, I took the dive into entrepreneurism from everything from coaching, consulting, and this and that. Uh, And it was a journey to figure out, okay, where's my sweet spot as it relates to this people development and, and quite frankly, my love of people. And about four, close to, yeah, it was probably about four years ago, um, I met Jim Vave, the gentleman that uh, Jeff mentioned. And it was kind of by accident uh, we were both serving on a panel for Franklin University, a local university here in the Columbus area, and it was on employee engagement. And we were on stage together and uh, just had, I mean, it was the funnest time. I had done those before, but Jim is a, he's a unique dude. He's hes truly a unicorn. And Jeff, I know, would agree with that. <laughs> and, yes, um, I've known him since yeah. 85. <laughs> yeah, so even more, right? So um afterwards um you know we had that hey you know we should get together for coffee and we should talk about maybe how we could work together and i'd heard that before so many times and i was like oh yeah sure sure yeah that's yeah let's let's do that and then he says hey i want to introduce you to my wife uh lynette and as soon as i locked eyes i go i think this guy i can trust because if this lady was just, I mean, it just oozed. There was so much light. And I thought, okay, this is not an accident. This is something that's gonna go. So I took all of those experiences from the corporate world, from my entrepreneur pursuits, the the writing, the speaking, the coaching, consulting, all that. And we began that journey. And um, here we are today. A lot of what Jeff said is, is kind of mirrored in my perspective. Um, But one of the things that has always intrigued me and, quite frankly, burdened me is that seeing people stuck, seeing people trying something and failing at it, trying something and hitting a brick wall, whatever it may be, and really not knowing, well, how do I overcome this? How do I get to breakthrough? And the pursuit of that is what we do at Spirit of EQ is to help people and organizations utilize some learnable skills to make better decisions. Because as many of you out there have probably heard, right? 90% of your life is more than likely the choices you make. 10% is the stuff you never could see coming. That inherently says that we all have a tremendous amount of control as it relates to what we decide And emotional intelligence is, to me, that's the elixir. That's the fuel to making better decisions. And I know, uh, and we know, as we've seen from research as well as in our own direct work, the better people get at decision-making, that 90% thing bears itself to be true, and they get the results they want. Eric, let me me dive a little deeper into this. Um, because I have a psychology background, and I have to tell you, I'd never heard of emotional intelligence. And I'm listening to both of you. It's it's not just a fad word that people are throwing around. Um, 
tell us a little bit more, like define EQ for us and how does a person know if they have it and go a little bit more into why it's important? Sure. Well, first off, uh, Carol, uh, everybody has it. It's just a matter of what is that level? What is that? Um, what is the depth of it? The, the strength of it? That type of thing. Emotional intelligence, and we always try to keep it very basic and straightforward, because uh, there is neuroscience that speaks to to emotional intelligence and where it comes from and how it works. But we simply say it's the management of your thoughts and your emotions to make optimal decisions. That simple equation typically leads to what you could ask any person on the street, any corporation, any nonprofit, they would say, yes, sign me up for that. So again, managing what I think, managing what I feel so that I can make the best decision possible. As it relates, uh, and, and this is a key one, Carol, <clears throat> a number of folks take all these different random definitions and random concepts and apply it to emotions as human beings. If you grew up maybe with a mom that was very, very adverse to any type of conflict, you might have heard, don't get angry. Don't lose your temper. You know, we've got to, we have to keep it under control. So you may grow up and become an adult that says, ultimately, if there's any time a sense of anger, got to shut it down. The reality of emotions, they're chemicals in our brain. That's science. Now, they also happen to be, uh, we would call neurotransmitters. They're communicating with us. So there really are no good emotions, bad emotions, positive emotions, negative emotions. They all are there and have been given to us to be allies, to communicate something, to help us have a better understanding about what's going on in a situation, going on with other people, going in a relationship, going on with business decision, all those things. Unfortunately, in America, we have this bad habit of basically mischaracterizing things. And what happens is you have people who, they, they get angry, they explode. And why do they do that? Well, that's what my dad did. Uh, they get sad, they withdraw. They don't want to talk. Well, why do you do that? Well, that's what my mom did. Fill in the blank. There's all those different influences that led us to have these mischaracterized views, if you will, of what our emotions are. You go one more step. And I think the, the chemical reaction that you were talking about, I love the Genesis story of what the Six Seconds organization, it, where that name came from. Can you talk a little bit about that, Eric? Sure. Well, it, my reference point is when I grew up as a kid, right? So my mom and dad might say, okay, we're not going to do that. And it really was not something I liked. I didn't like that answer. So I'm getting a little angry. And I never forget my mom would always just a woman of few words. She would say, you better, you better stop and think before you say anything. <laughs> And it was good advice because she was really good at that look, you know, the mom look, <laughs> the mom look, <laughs> you know, and um, what would happen? That's where that you better count to 10, you better, hold, you know, take some deep breaths, because when an emotion comes about, that is a point in time when your body is releasing tons of chemicals, hormones, peptides. It's that emotional center, you know, um, that says, okay, alarm, here we go. Now the key is, and where six seconds derived that name is that if you count to about six, this is not purely scientific. I mean, it, it's for some people it's four, some people it might be eight, but if you count, that allows all those chemical hormones and peptides to calm down, if you will, to subside, then we can make a better decision because we're not in the midst of all this alarm that goes off. And I think, and Jeff says this very well uh, for, in time past in our, uh, some of our podcasts is that it's kind of like that freeze flight fight thing, you know, uh, that's what's happening. And if you make a decision in the midst of that, 
it's going to be very compromised. If not, it's going to lead to a terrible outcome. All right. Well, in, in you know, Jeff, we've talked about, you know, emotional intelligence and the definition of it, and we've been focusing on the individual. What do you, what's important for this aspect for an organization collectively now? Well, what happens in an organization that is embracing emotional intelligence is that they learn, the individuals learn more about themselves, and then that kind of transforms the company. Uh, the, our model of emotional intelligence has eight competencies, and I think the most important one mm -hmm. is called the noble goal. The noble goal is not a goal like individually become a millionaire or with a company, you know, to be the biggest whatever kind of company. It's what you want people to say afterwards. Uh, this company that I worked for was just so fantastic of the way they treated people. Or uh, when I had this person out from a company, they listened to me. They just, you know, they, they – treated me like a person, not just a checkbook. So when when a company is doing that, and a company can develop their own noble goal for that, it makes everything work smoother. Uh, everybody is kind of pulling in the same direction. Um, it'll cut way back on a lot of the, uh, one of a better word, the drama of the mm -hmm. workplace. Uh, Employees are happier. Employees end up being much more productive because they're not wasting their emotional energy on uh, those kind of things. So I think it's very important uh, as companies, organizations. Uh, Eric and I know uh, uh, Dubuque, Iowa, their city government is putting emotional intelligence throughout the whole city government, starting with the police department. Mm. Uh, you know, thanks for the the plug, Brett. But if you go back to one of our earlier episodes, mm -hmm. we had one of the the uh, assistant chief chiefs on uh, talking about how much difference it makes in dealing with the public. So I think it's important for uh, organization to think along those lines. And one thing that Eric didn't mention is, unlike your um, IQ, you know, you're you're just a, you know you're you're as smart as you're going to be. You can learn new things, new processes, new facts, but your intelligence pretty much stays the same. Emotional intelligence is not. It's it's not it's not static. Um, so you can learn tools and things like that, and a company can learn things like that. As sounds they grow. like it's, it sounds like it's a good stepping stone to develop a company culture. Oh yeah, it's if you I think haven't done already or refine one. Mm -hmm, like I said, the company yeah. that that I work with with Jim. That was part of the process. As we grew, we needed more uh, defined culture, you know. Uh, so that's that's how why we did that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I was going to uh, throw in to add something. Um, you know, what Jeff was talking about, um, and I, I I see a number of organizations that make this mistake of introducing. Uh, corporate change before individual change. <laughs> and if you can imagine organization, maybe they they went to a seminar or they they saw something at a conference that said that you should be a you should have a servant leader culture, right? And they come back and they introduce it. We're going to be a servant leader organization. That's going to be our basis. And oftentimes those initiatives, even though they're well-intentioned and valuable, they fail because the order is is reversed. It's backwards. Because until I get a sense of how I manage my thoughts and my emotions to make these better decisions, I might look at that introduction of a servant leadership program as a, oh, yeah, we've been here before. Yeah, uh-huh, I guess. Yeah, right, whatever. Or I might be somebody that says, you know, all that will never work because, you know, I tried that when I was at such and such a place. You fill in the blank with reactions. An emotionally intelligent person, and again, this is worth the person transformation, if you will, 
begins to evaluate it, maybe from optimism. Hey, maybe this will be a pathway for us to get better. Maybe they apply some consequential thinking. Well, what if we don't do this? What could be the cost to it? So again, addressing the individual, and I'm so glad that Jeff mentioned that, is that that's where it starts. Mm-hmm. Then the company has the ability or, or will have a much greater chance of implementing corporate change because the individuals have changed. Mm-hmm. And, and also, one of the things that Eric and I have observed, for an organization, this needs to happen top down. Um, you need to start the the leaders, the, the official leaders of the company need to have bought into this um, instead of going, this is a cool idea, I just want my line employees to do it. And then what happens, the line employees change and the leadership didn't. Mm-hmm. And that's not a good combination. Right. right. Well, and I, I want to say, too, uh, to, to what Jeff is saying, is that it, it's not a case of that we would never work with an organization that didn't apply what Jeff said. Because what Jeff said is, if you want to go have the best chance for success, mm-hmm. he just described it. However, if for some reason that doesn't happen, there's still tremendous value in a line employee and a manager, a mid-level manager, growing their emotional intelligence. And yes, there is definitely, and Jeff alluded to it, there is there is a sort of a risk there that you may have that mid-level manager that's more intelligent, more emotionally intelligent than that senior level manager, and that can cause issues, and that could create a problem. But I think inherently the the, the idea is, you know, any positive movement of emotional intelligence is a good thing. Not, I mean, because again, you think about the impact on a family, impact on a community, a city, on and on and on. One, one person could have an impact. We have some people that have done it just individually, not really anything to do mm-hmm. with their, their corporation, the company they work for, and they're going to be a change maker mm-hmm. in, in the business. Sure. Er- Eric, it seems to me that given where corporations are right now in having difficulty recruiting employees, that retention is really important. They can't afford to lose oh. the good folks they have. So it sounds yeah. like this would be an incredible opportunity for employers to make change in their organizations. Um, so you do start with the individual, but say you've gotten to the point of where you're really looking at that organization. Um, Let's tell our listeners, you know, how do you start that process? What are the steps? I know there's an assessment that happens. Give us a little bit more information on that. Yeah. So one of the things that I love about being a part of Spirit of EQ, and and it's it's a differentiator, is that we start with data. In many types of um, organizations, um, there is an absence of that. And the data that we use uh, and have tremendous success with is through the assessments um, that um, measure the emotional intelligence of the individual. And once that is achieved or once that's completed, it gives us the ability to carve out a growth pathway that's based on, again, solid, valid, reliable data, which increases the chances of success, which is that behavior change, which is that place where the management of thought and emotion are are really clicking on all cylinders. Mm -hmm. Once that's occurred, and this is just a pathway that I recommend, I mean, it doesn't mean it's a silver bullet. And and I must say, um, I probably should have said this at the beginning, This is hard work. You're going into a place that's gonna require hard work. You're not gonna get a silver bullet here. Jeff and I can't come in, do a workshop, and then magically tomorrow, everybody's emotionally intelligent. Right. That would be nice, but. (laughs) Yeah, and then we'd be paid about quadruple what we are these days. (laughs) You got that formula down, right? (laughs) Yeah, exactly, right? So, in in the spirit of that, once you're able to, and that our basic emotional intelligent uh, intelligence assessment provides for uh, that pathway. 
as they have entered into this journey, there are other assessment tools that we have, one of them being um, vital signs. That's what we call it internally, which is kind of like a climate survey, if you will. And that's probably not doing it justice. And that can be done on the individual. It can be done using a 360 mechanism. It can be done through a team. And it also can be done organizationally. Um, that Getting that kind of data can give you uh, a leader, uh, uh, an organization, a sense of, okay, what's the climate like around here? W what are we thinking? What are we feeling about what's happening? And that, again, if you've got these emotionally growing, emotionally intelligent employees, when they answer the questions in a climate survey, they're going to be more thoughtful. They're going to be more, uh, again, emotionally intelligent. So maybe the idea is, is that, you know, it seems like we're not paying enough attention to the mental health of our employees. Okay. Now we've got, we've got a sense that good decision-making is happening in as much as that they've noticed it, they've observed it, and they also want to play a part in improving it. Okay. Well then boom, you can begin to start to address that organizationally toward solving, toward helping uh, that particular problem. And then from there, we've got some other ancillary types of assessments that provide data around sort of this neuroscience brain style type of inventory, if you will, um, that, that's helpful in understanding about how my brain style is different from yours and, and vice versa. You know, it seems to me that um, hearing the assessments and the data a listener could say, oh, well, they're just taking tests. But this could be a very subjective um, process. But doing the data makes it much more objective so that you can deal with people fairly. And Yes, and, and Carol, I would also say within that, we very rarely do off sort of um, – you know, ad hoc assessments, mm -hmm. meaning organization A says, hey, I need some emotional intelligence around here and we want to do some assessments. And we do it for them and give them a debrief. And then we say, thanks very much. Have a nice day. Mm -hmm. I'd say 95% of our engagements are rooted around a long-term commitment to work together. Because if information data was enough, oh my gosh, uh, I don't think we'd have like virtually any problems, right? True. We've got all True. kinds of data everywhere. But what we know is that to move to behavior change, that is a journey and it takes time. Mm -hmm. And our programs are, are rooted in, we start with the data and then we carve out in concert with that organization a pathway for the employees to move to behavior change. Uh, one example, very, very simply and quickly, is, is one of our competencies is increase empathy. And empathy is a big deal, uh, regardless of pandemic, pre-pandemic, post-pandemic, whatever you want to call it, right? So a person can get data that says that their empathy level is really, really low. Okay, well, you could say, well, then, okay, go, go be more empathetic. Sorry, doesn't work that way. Uh, that's a journey mm -hmm. that's going to require work. And we come alongside of those individuals through engagements that last typically nine to 12 months to help them get to that place where they go, you know what, when I first started, man, I felt like I couldn't get anywhere. And I don't, I, I was thinking I was empathetic, but I'm really not. And then it starts to move to, oh my gosh, see, I, I started taking some, I listened to your podcast. Oh, that, that session we did on empathy. That to me is what is the key uh, in the work that we do to get people to move to where it's not just, again, hey, I got some data that says I need to be more empathetic, but I've got some data. Now I want to work on that so that in six months, nine months, whatever, I'm more empathetic. Mm -hmm. one, yeah. of, one of the things that we we tell individual clients or businesses is this data that Eric is talking about. We want them to approach it with curiosity. 
what mm-hmm. what is this really saying? Um, because there's no right or wrong answers with this data. It's just saying what it is. So, you know, why do I feel like I'm, you know, why is this showing I'm not empathetic? You know, I, I really care about people. You might not be very empathetic to yourself. You know, that kind of thing. So we Good want point. We yeah. want things to be approached with the idea of I want to learn. And the only way you can really learn is to be curious about things. Right. Yeah, I, I, I took the assessment with Jim Vave. I knew Jim before Eric and Jeff and talking with him. And um, it's, what, over 100 questions or something like that. I mean, it, you can't fool this assessment. It, it, and it just, it, it's, it's, it's good. It's very rooted in the academic world. Yeah. So if somebody just – check marks things it'll kick it out like right <laughs> so exactly so you know and and so took the took the assessment and then jim and i met uh, a, a week after that had over a cup of coffee and you know the, the things that it showed are spot on i mean the way he explained it is like it shows you this it shows that you're you're this and and you know mine it was it's a very high empathy level to a point that jim says it may be disab- disabling you mm-hmm that you you just have too much that you know but I took it I took away from that going okay this is me this is who I am don't let your high empathy level be disabling mm-hmm. that it stops you from doing things right. you know that sort of thing it's a good thing to be uh, you know empathetic but don't let it stop you from uh, doing things the other thing you know and Jeff mentioned about the curiosity thing and and this is something that we as a company pride ourselves in as well or as a key value, and that is providing psychologically safe environments to learn. Mm-hmm. Because as I think we all would agree, sometimes when you get information in a report or an assessment that reveals something that might show weakness, it can easily be a case of where you begin to think, I've failed, I'm not good enough, I should have been better 10 years ago, on and on and on. Yeah. But opening the door to curiosity, you have to you have to sort of till the ground, if you will, with that psychological safety. And in this age, especially in the pandemic age we're in, that is really, really huge. And we put a lot of effort and emphasis on making sure that learners and in our case, adult learners know that they're coming to an environment and an engagement that is psychologically safe. Yeah. That uh, Eric, I'm so glad you said that 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 notion of learning, of being curious, that's something that um I loved about my time working at Ohio State because continuing education, that's we, you know, you learn to learn. Every day learning something new. When I was working with clients who are 50 and over looking for jobs, I, I would say to them, look at a networking opportunity as learning some new information. Um, everything that we can do to make ourselves a better person, a better emotionally, all of that seems to really um, begin with the ability or willingness to learn uh, something about ourselves and take ourselves to another level. One of the things that we... Uh think is very important when we are working with an organization, um, we're not going to kill them with PowerPoint. <laughs> <laughs> right, Eric? Yeah, we, we kind of call it death by PowerPoint. Yes. Right, <laughs> yeah, we, we use it because one of the things that, uh, that we realize, and this, this is, I got to give a lot of this credit to Six Seconds, the company that we're a preferred partner of, and they do a really good job of teaching us how to teach. And so we have a, a formula for teaching that keeps people engaged so that if you're a visual learner, you've got the PowerPoint. If you're an audible learner, we're talking. If you're one of the kind of people that have to move around, we always have some kind of physical activity that goes on. So that's another way of what Eric is talking about, trying to make it a safe place so that everybody is taken uh, care of that way. Well, I, I got to say to Jeff, uh, w- with with what you described there, um, 
it is, is very, very key. The, the object is not for us to give great presentations inside of a software program. That's not the objective. The objective is for you to find, again, that psychologically safe place where your style of learning can come through. Um, there's an other danger, and this is where I would speak to those senior level leaders. One block to curiosity is an environment where you feel that your identity, your diversity is not respected and maybe welcomed, right? And I know there's a ton of conversation out there about diversity, but I'm speaking to that place of senior leader. Think about that mid-level person, if we want to call it that who hears us talk about the importance of managing thoughts and emotions, and we want to be more emotionally intelligent, but their direct boss pays no attention to them, won't make eye contact with them when they come in in the morning or when there's a, a call, there's no, that kind of stuff is a block to that curiosity and that learning. And again, I know that's not something that they fix overnight. We don't have a silver bullet. But that's one thing to keep in mind that is certainly an inhibitor for that learning. All right. Well, you know, that leads me to the next question about success stories. Jeff, could you talk a little bit about, you know, where an organization was, where they ended up being, that success story? I think I'm going to give that one back to Eric because he's worked with our our larger clients more than I have. What, What do you think, Eric? Well, you know, it's it's interesting because as we have been growing, um, I'll hear people ask me, so, uh, Eric, so what's your sweet spot? Where, what vertical industry is, is most, you know, advantageous for you guys? We have so many diverse types of clients that the only common thread I have or I've seen or we've seen are senior level leaders that have a heart for their people. That's the common denominator. That's the thread. And one specific one that that comes to my mind is a technology company um, who, you know, I want to say they had, I don't know, 25, 30 people. So fairly small organization. And what we typically like to do is to get feedback you know, throughout the process of, of how it's working and how, how it's going. And one of the things that really leaped out to me uh, in conversation with the owner of the company is to have employees and for him to say, I see a difference. And that's ultimately what you're looking for. I need to see difference because let's face it, we're not in the business of like supply chain where we can say, well, the reason why it hasn't hit there is because it hasn't done this and it should be Tuesday by four. We've got this on it. <laughs> we're talking about something. We're talking about human beings. Too diverse, too complex to put a true measurement to it. Some of it is purely about what am I seeing? What What's different about Jeff today? versus what he was six months ago. Now, we do have tools to measure, and we do. So another example would be a mid-sized fire department that we work with that we were doing a session on emotional literacy, which is one of our competencies in our model. And we get to the end of the the session, and one of the, the people in their cohort uh, says, yeah, I have a question. And and she goes, well, what do you do if you get to the end of your day and you get home and you got nothing left? Now, initially, I started thinking to myself, oh, I've heard this before. You know, this is somebody who's a workaholic and, uh, you know, they work, 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 work. And then when they get home, they have no time for children or, or spouses, partners, whatever. But it wasn't that. She said, um, I, I just dread it. And I said, what, what's, what is it that you dread about? It's because my mother-in-law lives with us. 
and she's just exhausting (laughs) and i and i just i just have nothing because it just she sucks all this out of me and i said okay kind of convenient right because we were talking about emotional literacy let's think about some of the emotions that you felt or you feel when you're driving home where you're feeling like i got nothing left and she says well there's certainly anger uh probably a little apprehension and you know, some fear and frustration. And I go, is it okay if I just kind of pull one of those out and we can talk? She gives me permission. And um, I said, tell me about frustration. What is it saying to you? Because we were talking about emotions are communicators and silence. And I get, I, I'm looking at her. And then she says, it's telling me I don't want her to live with us. And I said to her, I said, look, I'm not telling you what to do. You've got to determine what the next steps are. But at least now it's clear for you. And it was frustration that helped you come to see that. I, I mean, I could have, I, I could have walked, I could have floated out of there. <laughs> so those would be two that come to mind. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's it's, it's got to be rewarding to see the realization of these little pieces to help somebody walk away feeling better to understanding why they're feeling what they're feeling. Mm-hmm. That's got to help. Well, yeah, and, and Brett, think about this. And, and for those that may be out there with organizations and says, oh, okay, great for her. She now understands she doesn't want her mother-in-law to live there. But think about this. With her identifying what the problem is and maybe starting down the path of wanting to address it, what impact does that have on the organization? Mm-hmm. That's where the gold is. Because we've made the mistake over the years of thinking, well, you've got to keep your your stuff from home at home. And it stops, and it stops at the door. Your... Exactly. It stops yeah, at the door. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And even as much as we have evolved, if you will, to where now we, we are more interested, in, but it's messy stuff, right? But I, I would just say from a vision standpoint, what happens when she solves that problem or when she has a better view of it mm-hmm. or when she drives home, she's not thinking, oh, I should dread this. Could it have impact on your customers tomorrow morning when they come in because they're getting better, they're learning, they're, they're growing in that emotional intelligence? What impact does that have on productivity? And to what Carol said, what impact does it have on retention? Oh, my gosh. Eric, it also seems, though, that sort of indirectly, you've given her the tools to think of her family as an organization and her ability to deal emotionally with issues that are going on in the family organization. Exactly. And and Jeff said it earlier, holistic. Mm-hmm. It's not just about making you a better business analyst, a better senior level manager. It's, it's about addressing the things that, that comprise all of your life. And, and to your point, Carol, absolutely. So then when you're looking at all of these individuals, the organization, the leadership, the chances of getting everybody on the same page at the same time is pretty slim. Um, but you don't you need to sort of, I, I hate to use this term, but like, you know, corral the cats going in one direction so that that organization can reach that level of EQ? And, you know, are there secrets that you're using, like tricks up your sleeve to make that happen? Well, I I think, Carol, the reality is what you said there at the beginning. The chances of you getting everybody in perfect harmony, it's very low because it's so dynamic in nature. Mm -hmm. However, can I add one thing here like we said before emotional intelligence is not set so if you take the assessment on a day that you're you're or you're in a period where everything is going really well for you you're going to score higher in emotional intelligence if you take the assessment on a day where you've had or a month where you've had difficult things it's going to be a lower assess or a lower score normally so, yeah, it's not. So your high performer on Monday 
next Monday might be your lower performer because of something that happened. And even if just by some luck of the draw, you got everybody on the same page today, the chances of them still being on the same page by tonight would yeah. again be slim. So. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Well, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna play a little bit of the contrarian if you guys will allow me this. And Jeff and I have had this conversation before, so he's used to me being the contrarian. <laughs> um, think about it this way: as much as what Jeff was saying is true in the sense of the variability, right? It still can't be lost that if the individual is in a practice intentionally working on themselves it's kind of like muscle if you continue to lift weight of whatever variety you will build muscle you will get stronger if you stop your muscles will atrophy right Mm -hmm. you'll you'll experience atrophy i know we're not going to get everybody on the same page perfectly but boy i got to tell you you show me someone who's committed to intentionally work on themselves, even if they do have that, oh, it was a bad day when I took the test, their ability to regroup, rebound, and refocus is a whole lot better than mm-hmm. if they don't. Right. Well, another thing in that is if you've got an emotionally intelligent organization, group, team within a group, whatever – if somebody is having that rough time, the other members of that group will be able to help them in in a lot of different ways. It could be just having empathy and letting them be that way for the, this time period. Say, I think that goes back to the notion of because we're willing to learn and taking all this information in, mm-hmm. it's coming in easier and allowing us to deal with it easier so that we could take care of those good times and bad times. Yeah. I, I, I really firmly believe, Carol, that that, that idea of that learning, right, mm-hmm. um, is, is, is fuel for the matter. And, and, and quite frankly, um, this is the danger that organizations, uh, and, and we've seen it in some of our past clients, they do the experience and then they stop. And the reality is emotional intelligence is not to solve all issues of leadership and all issues of organizational development, all that kind of thing. It's 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 one of things that are in our toolbox, Mm -hmm. but it has to be constant. It can't be. We had this experience two years ago on emotional intelligence. Oh, yeah, I remember that we had spirit of EQ come in and they did this and they did that. And sure boy, was that, that fun, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and, and here's the thing. Our clients don't put us on retainer forever. I, we get that. But the reality is, is that it should always be a constant. Because that, that analogy of the muscle is really apropos here. Because if you stop, your muscles will start to, you'll lose muscle. Mm-hmm. So the idea is... Don't stop. All right. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, we're getting toward the end here. You know, through what we've gone through over the last now couple of years, um, have have the strategies working with organizations, working with this, with, with spirit, uh, with emotional intelligence, spirit of EQ changed any? I mean, now that we're working away from the office and you know the, the the virtual apps are in play just it's a different dynamic has what you've done and are doing with organizations and individuals changed a bit well one of the things is we have we have had to switch to you know zoom meetings mm-hmm. zoom training and they're very they're still very very valuable but i think you lose something because a lot of communication is the nonverbal intuitive? I don't know what best way to describe it, but I think Eric will say the same. When when I'm leading a class in person, there's a whole different energy for me than if I'm doing it on Zoom. Would, would you agree with that, Eric? Oh, certainly, certainly. And I also think to to your question, Brett we've also had to be much more sensitive to the levels of anxiety that many, the vast majority of employees 
individuals are experiencing. Uh, that psychological safety that I mentioned earlier, the emphasis there. And, and we always had our radar on about those things pre-pandemic. It's just that now it's even more intentional in letting that, that individual or that group know. And um, as sad as that is for me, because it means people are, you know, they're having trouble it does it does the, one of the things that has changed is that i think employers now realize uh just how valuable an asset their people are now yeah, yeah. to be sure some of them don't know what to do some of them are struggling with their own internal neural pathways that say well why do we have to bother with this stuff about emotions but at the end of the day, no one is going to, I would dare say there's going to be any senior level leader that would say, oh, no, no, people aren't dealing with anxiety these days. They're, they're, they're just like it was 10 years ago. Have, have either of you seen differences in individuals dealing better in this kind of crazy environment? So, you know, are younger people better or older people dealing with it better? And the reason I'm asking is there were the beginning of the pandemic, there was a lot of concern over older adults being home alone and being um, uh, uh, away from family and friends. But over time, it was realized that older folks were doing better than younger folks because older folks were used to being alone and younger (laughs) folks weren't. And the fact that they were trying to sort of break into being part of a culture of a company and not really even, I mean, we've got We've talked to young people who have never, not even met their colleagues face to face. How do you, how do you create a, a EQ in an environment which people don't see each other other than on a computer? I know Eric is working and and using it some and trying to develop it further. Of uh, what do you call peer groups, Eric? Uh, actually, they're they're uh, we call them group cohorts. Okay, I couldn't couldn't remember the right word. That's all right. Yeah. And, you know, so that they, even if they can't get together physically, they can, you know, meet regularly that way in a smaller group, which I think helps. Okay. Yeah, Yeah, and I think that those folks, too, as we set those programs up, um, there is, depending on the size of the group, um, there are things like we, we, we create, help them create these accountability partners, right? So if you're in a cohort of you know, 20 people, uh, maybe there's, you know, a cohort inside of that cohort, two on two and two and two, 10 groups of two, if you will. And you go through the program, the cohort together so that there is building of relationship that way. Um, and then I think there's a certain level of anticipation and excitement to be meeting regularly and to have this as part of, okay. And by far, and you talk about changes in how we do the work we do is seeing people understand something that Beth and I and our team already have figured out, if you will, in the sense that we, we know the power behind this is for them to see that, Oh my gosh, this really helps. Uh, this, this, Hey, you know what? I I tried that. And you know what? Uh, it was, it's kind of hard, but, the more I do it, I'm, I'm starting to, and that's, that's such a powerful thing uh, because I think unfortunately or not, depending on your view, the changes that we're seeing in the workplace and the dynamic of how it will be done, if you will, it's not over. There's more change coming. Right. And right. Um, I think everyone would agree with that. Right. You know, one of the things I, I was sitting here thinking about other people that we know through six seconds, you know, our other preferred partners and things. I, I'm I'm looking at all those people, and while we're all doing this because we want to make some money, I think for most of the partners that I know, that's not the most important thing. That if you're looking for somebody to work with, uh, with your indiv- as an individual, as a company, you want to try to find somebody that is doing it because they want to help. Uh, if somebody just – and that's one of the reasons, like Eric says, we don't like to do just a one-time thing. 
which is a lot you'll get that a lot you know they somebody just wants the money to do the assessment and then you know wish you good luck but i think you know try to find somebody that really cares about the their clients well nobody wants to be sold right it, they they they've come to you for solutions mhm they know something's going wrong mm-hmm. and this is an alternative to find out what's going on right. with individual organization one right. way or the other well and Brad and Carol let's face it how did you feel when somebody just tried to sell you something mhm i mean i i i don't think it would take very much for me to figure you probably felt like i felt like hey the only reason that you're bugging me is you just want me to write a check Right. You don't really care about whether or not I get success from your unbelievable marketing plan or unbelievable <laughs> lead generation program. You're just interested in getting that check. Right. And that's not who we are. Yes, we're going to ask you to write a check. And yes, it's not cheap. However, you can rest assured, Jeff, myself and our other partners, you're going to get people who really actually care and want you to get to breakthrough. And to me, that's the sign of value. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that that's really, these are incredible lessons um, for our employer listeners who are, are uh, joining us today and um, something really to think about. You know, it, in this time that we are having in terms of keeping our workforce stable, um, this is a, a key, key question. And so I'm hoping that our, our employers will get back in contact with you, talk to you a little bit more about what emotional intelligence is and how the spirit of EQ can help them. Um, just as we're closing today, we always give our guests an opportunity to give just a, you know, a one last thought, uh, one last tip to our audience. And, and um, Jeff, why don't you go ahead and get us started? Approach things with curiosity. If if what we said today is striking a chord with you, explore it. You know, there's lots of resources. You can come to our website. Uh, I don't know. We have 50-some podcasts now. Yeah. yeah. Uh, explore it. And if it's something that's resonating with you, then dig deeper. Thank you. Eric, how about you? That's such a great question, Brett and Carol. And I guess I probably would leave folks with the idea that this idea of decision making, in some ways, it might sound like just an employer driven motivation, like, hey, we need you to be a better decision maker. But when you really think about it, when you look at the span of your life, you probably would be able to look and go, yeah. I'm where I'm at because of the choices I made. I would hope that people would be motivated to get even better at that Mm -hmm. because we live in uncertain times now. And I think that's going to continue for a while, maybe, maybe a long while. So why not get to the place where you can kind of, or get in on that journey of getting better at making choices, those decisions, so that navigating this uncertainty becomes much more efficient, much more productive, much more valuable. What have you got to lose to be better than you are today, tomorrow? <laughs> I, I, I just don't, you know, in any scope, whether it's, you know, using this or just figuring out, you know, I can be better all the way around. I just have to work on it. What have we got to lose? <laughs> it's the great nothing. irony, Brett. Yeah. That's the great irony of America. Yeah. And I, I, I'll say this to clients consistently. I said, we, we put our careers, we put our, all these aspirations of things and all that, we put that front, but working on ourselves has become an afterthought. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and that, I mean, we're learning how, vulnerable we we are in that sense when you think about uh, for example with with brain health we were totally unprepared for what happened to us with this pandemic as far as its collateral damage and i'm thinking to myself man when whatever the next normal is i i really hope that so many people will just say you know what i'm not ignore, ignoring my brain health anymore my mental well-being is super important. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And hopefully, you know, we give the listeners something to think about with emotional intelligence, kind of, and uh, maybe demystify what it is as well, too, because I think we hear that yes. term bandered around a lot and not knowing, is it voodoo? Is it, right. you know, or, or where is it based right. on? And there's some some solid stuff it's based on, and it, it, I think it's something we need to uh, address um, to better ourselves and better people around us. But thanks for both of you being with us. You know, we'll, uh, listeners will have more about emotional intelligence. I, I want to remind everyone again uh, that uh, you know Jeff and Eric have a podcast, Spirit of EQ podcast. It, it is a really really good podcast, even if I do say so myself, since I help produce it. But um, <laughs> they do a great job with it. Honestly, they really really do. They've been at it a long time, and, and you'll learn a lot just from listening to. That that podcast it's well worth the time to do that um and uh, you can find links to that on our website as well too looking forward our thanks for being with us guys thank thanks you thanks for having us yes thank you